Our scripture reading today is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 22. And today our sermon is entitled, Compelled to Proclaim. Once again, this is a pretty long passage, so please do follow along with me. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. We continue our series on the book of Acts, the burgeoning church. 
we see how God has decided to establish his body, the church itself. And we are starting to learn how we have much in common today as we did with the early church as well. You see, in, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, God decided through the Holy Spirit that the, the voice of God would not only simply come through a king or a specific king or a specific prophet or a specific priest, but that Christ has democratized the gifts to all people. That when the apostles received the Spirit, they were able to preach the word of God in their own language, in, in, in different languages. And the people about them heard about Jesus in their native tongue. And they all praised God and God himself. We here sitting today, we heard the gospel or we heard the Bible being read in English. Knowing that even these English words itself are a blessing to us. The stories themselves are a blessing to us. That we hear God's word in our own native language cannot be denied. We saw last week that a miracle was performed on a lame man. And we see that these miracles were the same miracles that Jesus had performed. And in many ways, these miracles were the same miracles that Jesus had empowered the apostles to perform, sending them to the villages, healing the lame, casting out demons, and proclaiming the good news of the Lord. And so we see that Peter and John, and we see the apostles, had the same authority as Christ did. That Christ had given them the authority to cast out all that was evil, to heal those who were lame. And here today we see that John and Peter sort of have been, have, have been arrested by the leaders of the day. And the leaders of the day persecuted them. They, they put them in jail because they were afraid of what would happen if all the peoples heard of the gospel and if people turned away from their religion to serve Christ himself. Things are changing. Things are churning. It's an exciting time. But what we can learn about these three passages, about Peter's three sermons, is how steady he is in the gospel that he is proclaiming. <laughs> in many ways, you could say that he's just recycled three sermons in the span of like a couple of days. God forbid that I recycle a sermon every week, right? But his message is very simple, brothers and sisters. And this message continues to change people's hearts. The message that all of us are liable and culpable in putting Jesus on the cross. That it was our own sins itself that led to his death. The message that Jesus and his love for us took upon 
those sins and took upon those punishments and died for us, taking the penalty of sin. The fact that he resurrected from the dead and is now alive. The fact that the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent to us revives our hearts, makes it new. And that all we need to do is repent and believe. That message never changes. And that message is the heart and the core of every church that knows and loves Jesus Christ. I know for many people in our world today, the idea that we are sinners against God is a tough pill to swallow. None of us want to be blamed for doing something that is bad or evil, especially when we don't, don't even know about it. When someone comes to you and confronts you and says, listen, you've done X, Y, and Z, and it's really offensive to me. And you sit there going, I know nothing about X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry that I offended you. Is sort of the reflex of what we say. But deep in our heart, we're, we're wondering, what did I do wrong? How could I have done anything wrong to you? Many in the church today look at Jesus the same way. We come here to worship God. Yes, we do. We know that we are not perfect people. Yes, we do. But it's not all my fault. It's his fault and her fault I'm this way. It's my parents' fault that I'm this way. It's society's fault that I'm this way. I take some blame, but not enough to say I am wrong. And this is why the message of the cross and the message to repent is so hard for our modern world. This is the sin of Adam and Eve. When Adam said, when God appeared to Adam and Eve after they, after taking the fruit, what does Adam do? Adam says, it's my wife made me eat this. It wasn't me. And we put blame on anything and everything else. And when we do that, we become managers of our sins, managers of our distress, managers of our lives. But managing your sin never gives life. And managing your sin can only last a brief time. For no matter how many holes you try to plug in that dam, one day it will burst. You see, the message of the cross to, to invite you to, to repent and come to him, it's a simple message. No matter what circumstances you were born in, Greek or Jew, male or female, slave or free, 
the picture that, that Christ gives to us in our ability to come to him is a picture of Jesus saving us when we were dead in our sins. Now, this death doesn't mean that we're inactive. It doesn't mean that we've been victimized just lying there and waiting for someone to save us. It's not as if the world is against us and we're looking for someone to take us out. The picture of, of what it means to be dead in God means to be actively trespassing against Him. It means to be actively going against Him. The, the picture I like to draw is that Jesus saved you while you were punching Him, kicking Him, cursing at him, screaming at him. Because he saved you not simply because you are innocent. He saved you because you were his, when you were his enemy. Each and every one of us were enemies of God. And the grace and the joy that he gives us and know is this, is in knowing that when you were Hating God, God still loved you. And by God's grace and God's miracle, something clicked. The Holy Spirit. That opened your eyes to see, I'm the one who's been hating God. I'm the one who's been sinning against God. And you come to the Lord and you ask forgiveness. And God saves you. That's the gospel message. That's the enormity of God's love for you and for me. While you were yet still sinners, God demonstrated his love by sending his son unto you. I know you understand this because some of you are in relationships or have relationships where you feel like the other person is your enemy and you're just trying to love them. Or it's the other way around. You know that you're the enemy trying to push someone away, but that person still loves you. But we're human. There's only so much that we can take. But God himself is infinite and loving. And God himself, by his power, has enabled us to see our sins and repent unto him. Then and then alone, Can we be like God and show that same sort of unconditional love to one another? Free, without condition, knowing that that other might be our enemy or seems like our enemy, entrapped by sin themselves perhaps. But if God can love me, Surely I can love my brother and my sister in Christ. 
You see, this, this is the gospel that these apostles understood. This wasn't some simple, like, you know, Jesus the guru has come to our, our city, town square. Let us all come and listen to what he has to say. This is what some self-help help teacher coming to, to, to help us to live a better life. This is Jesus of Nazareth who proclaimed the word of God, who, who did true miracles, who died on the cross for you and for me, who by his Holy Spirit allows us to hear the good news of Jesus every single moment. This is the gospel that Peter preached the same gospel. Not only these first three times, but every time he had the opportunity to preach of the good news of God. And even before the leaders of the day, he did not change it. First amongst the people of Jerusalem who heard the gospel in their own in their own language. Second, when he when he healed the lame person and shared the good news of Jesus, and thirdly, here amongst the leaders once again, the same Christ is who we serve and whom we love. So after they were arrested, and after they gave account to the leaders of the day the leaders themselves were puzzled what to do. One, more than 5,000 men, in addition women and children, had come to know the Lord by this simple message. And people were praising God all over the place. A revolution had happened. And this revolution, you got to think about this, is that you no longer needed the priest. You no longer needed the temple to praise God. You could praise God and worship God wherever you stood and wherever you stand, all together in praise to him. To me, this is the, the second, this is the first Reformation. The second Reformation was likewise. If you understand Martin Luther and, and, and the time of the Reformation, it's very similar. The Catholic Church back in the day had all the powers of the blessings in the sacraments. In fact, when they had the sacrament of the Eucharist, you would take the bread and you would take the wine. And literally, that was the body and the blood of Christ. All the sins that you had committed against the Lord were absolved once you were baptized. But from the time of baptism on, every sin that you committed would still accumulate. Christ did not die for your sin once and for all. That sacrament of baptism allowed you to be clean. But you had to be cleaned over and over and over again. And so the people would, would come to the Catholic Church would do the sacrament of, of penance and then come and take the bread and take the wine, which was the body and blood of Christ. And when they would take it, all their sins from that point to their baptism were wiped out. And then you had to do it over and over and over again. Can you imagine in, in the Middle Ages, uneducated people thinking I need to go to Mass every week at the very least? 
Because if any sin remains when I pass away, that's what purgatory is for. I need to keep going to, to, to Mass. I need to go keep going to my priest over and over again. But when Martin Luther came to say, you are saved by grace and grace alone, it was like another Pentecost moment. The Catholic Church lost power just like that. And it's an absolute miracle because, I don't know about you, but if I felt like all my life I had to go to Mass in order for God to bless me. And then one day someone says to me, you don't need to go to Mass, you just need to pray. It would, it would rock my world. And in fact, without internet to verify things, and you know, I would probably not believe it. Unless God's Spirit was at work. And that's what happened here. 5,000 people came to worship God. People were praising the Lord where they stood. And all of them saw that the gospel of Christ, the good news, surpassed anything that was going on inside the temple behind them. People were being saved. This is the news that these people received. Now, when they arrested them, they said, listen, we, we can't do anything. But they said, listen, you guys can go, but please don't preach this gospel again. But Peter and John were like, you judge for yourselves whether we should obey you or obey God. And they decided, well, I should put it this way. They were compelled to follow God and God alone. Whether they be jailed again, whether other people would understand the gospel that they preached. It didn't matter. Because the good news that the, of Jesus saving sinners is the only news that mattered. For all humanity was wrapped up in their sins. And for John and Peter, if they could just declare this so that at least some would be saved, if not many would be saved, was their heart's desire. When you come to know the gospel, when you truly come to know the gospel, and perhaps all of us need to day by day re-acclimate to ourselves to the wonders of the gospel, you cannot help but to share that same gospel with everyone else, regardless of what may happen at work, family, your reputation. 
for the joy of seeing someone come to know Christ far exceeds any gift, far exceeds anything that you can achieve in this world. To see someone sing unto God, I was once lost, but now I'm found. Feeds us to see God's Spirit working. Brothers and sisters, this gospel that Peter has taught, he himself, later on, we're going to see Paul. Paul's a little bit of a different guy. Peter is like that, that friend you have who is like a one-tracker, right? Just can only think of one thing and talk about one thing, right? If they like music, all they talk about is music. If they like medicine, all they talk about is medicine. If they like, I don't know, the Atlanta Falcons, all they talk about is the Atlanta Falcons. Peter is like this. Peter is that guy who's like, all I want to talk about is the gospel. I pray that we have Peters here amongst us. That we would be a people who would unabashedly declare Jesus to one another. Paul will see as a different animal. Paul himself likes to do more cultural engagement. But both of them have the same goal. May Christ be glorified. May people come to believe in him. This message has not changed. And it's a message that I declare to you today. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come, with it, come again. All of us. Let us repent. And let us believe on the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is no greater news than to know that would belong to you. Lord, we are surprised when we open our eyes and we see the depths of our sins and the depths of our wrongdoings, the depths of our enmity against you, Lord. We had no idea. And in fact, how could we when our hearts have been hardened? But then you opened our eyes and you showed us that we were enemies of the cross. But Lord, your grace is, is so amazing that when you showed us that, you also showed us, Lord, the heights and the magnificence of your love and grace upon us, Lord. And that, Lord, you have come down to, to pour out your comfort, your joy, yourself. And you walk with us. You encourage us. You allow us to sing. You allow us to have joy. You allow us, Lord, not, allow us not to take our own selves so seriously. 
You allow us, Lord, to be generous to others. You allow us, Lord, to see all that is good and not simply all that is evil. You allow us, Lord, to share the good news of Christ to one another and to this world. For, Lord, that the hope that we have in our hearts, we need to share it. So help us to do so. First, for those who are closest to us, Lord, spouses, children, fathers and mothers, then to our church people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then to our families, Lord, those who know Jesus and those who need to know Jesus, and to our neighborhoods and to this world. We pray, Lord, that as you revive that hope in us, that you would compel us to share. We thank you. And we praise you. In Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen.